A few weeks ago, we said that sometimes when we talk to people that we know, they will say this to us, you know, religion has caused a lot of harm in the world. And we said at that time that perhaps the best way to guide that conversation is to agree and tell them, yes, that is often the case. Sometimes religion has done a lot of harm in the world. Sometimes religion has caused a lot of wars, a lot of death and destruction. And then you might want to add at that point in time, if you want to know more, just ask Jesus. He'll be able to tell you about it. The title of our message today is Bad Religion, Its Leaders and Their Followers. We are here in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is in the temple. It is the Passover week. It is the last week of his life. It is the cross is coming soon. Uh, The city of Jerusalem is full. And last week we saw Jesus told the religious leaders a stinging parable, the parable of the two sons. Uh, This week there will be another story, another parable. And in fact, these parables are getting clearer and clearer. You know, at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we're kind of scratching our heads saying, "What's what's he actually talking about? But Jesus is making it clear that he is the Messiah, that he is the new and better temple. He is the true temple. And here he is talking to crowds, uh, presumably in the court of the Gentiles, where anybody was allowed at this massive temple complex again during the Passover season. This particular story, this particular parable may be the nail in the coffin. This may be the straw that breaks the camel's back of the religious leaders. It is that difficult. And the reality is, as we saw last week, that these religious leaders have taken the authority of the word of God, they've twisted it, and they've changed it to fit it to what they want it to be. And they came up to Jesus last week, and they said to him, by what authority... Are you doing and are you saying all of these things? And I'm going to paraphrase Jesus and say he replied something like this. Listen, you are not here to question my authority. I am here to question your authority. And so that's what he is going to do. And he is going to pose a tremendous threat to the religious leaders in the temple. Now, it seems to me over the years, one of the big problems was that people who tried to, you know, come into town for all these various feasts every uh, three times a year, uh, they did not do the godly thing that we saw Jesus do last week. What did he do last week? He asked questions. He asked questions of the religious leaders. But a lot of people don't do that. Why? Well, one reason is sadly... We see this all over the area in which we live. A lot of people are farming out their spirituality. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, with the church I go to or the organization I go to, it's the leader's responsibility uh, to teach me these things. It's not my responsibility uh, at all. And that danger is that was back then. It's been through the centuries. It still is today. In other words, what people are doing is they're allowing religious people to take over their spiritual brains instead of getting the wor- into the Word of God and getting the Word of God into them. Others, well, they're just not going to ask the leader. Why? Well, they're just going to make assumptions. 
They're just going to they're going to sin with their words and with their actions. But by Jesus asking and let me just say he noticed he asked at the right time. They come to him. He's got the people right there that are being deceived. And so he asked at the right time. The people were able to see what was going on. And in the temple, theologically speaking, what was going on was not good. You see, when you ask people, leaders, you ask leaders in the church, you ask your boss, and always a good time. Timing is very important. Did you know that? Did you know that? You know, sometimes you, you, you give your boss an idea, and a year later you're bitter because it wasn't, you know, he never did anything with it. She never did anything with it. So I've talked to people about that, and I say, well, when did you give them the idea? And you, they go, at the office Christmas party, <laughs> right? <laughs> he had a few in him. I figured it was a good time. Well, yeah, well, okay. I guess it wasn't. Uh, some of you who are old enough to remember, and if you haven't seen it, it's one of the best movies ever, is the movie Big. And, and, and Susan, who's an up-and-coming executive, is talking to the big boss, and she's saying about some things that she thinks about the business, and the big boss goes, it's a party. It's a Christmas party. So timing does mean a lot, uh, but when you ask people, it can reveal a lot about them. It reveals a lot about the grace of God that's operating in their heart. It reveals a lot if they have a servant's heart, or in this case, it reveals the self-righteousness that's in the leaders and in many of the people that are following those leaders. And the peril this puts the people of Jerusalem in was this. Uh, It led them, the religious leaders led them, many of them, if not most of them, to walk in their ways, even to the point of rejecting God and the Savior. Now, I'm just going to say this before we really dive into this parable. This is probably going to offend most of us in some ways. Now, if it offends you, don't feel bad, because I think if it doesn't offend you in some little way, you're probably not seeing it clearly. You're you're probably not hearing it clearly. Jesus didn't mean for us to go, oh, yes, look at them. Oh, thank God I'm not like those religious leaders. (laughs) We're supposed to look at this thing and say, is some of this me? Is some of this actually me? So if you're taking notes, three things today. Number one, the patience of God. The patience of God. Verse 33 and 34, Jesus is still speaking. He's just told them the parable of the two sons. He's just told them that the kingdom of heaven includes some of the most notorious sinners. Remember, tax collectors and harlots, and that they've come to the point where they hate their sin. They repent. They turn to God. They put their trust in God, and God brings them into the kingdom of God. And as angry as the religious leaders were hearing that those people are going to get in, Jesus then added, and the proud religious people, there's no place for them. Remember, like we say around here very often, you can't be too bad for heaven. You can only be too proud. And so proud religious people will be excluded. So he says, verse 33, here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that he might that they might receive its fruit. Now, a lot of times we read the Bible 
and we just throw our arms up. We're just like, well, this is why I don't read the Bible, Pastor Jim. Like, what in the world does that mean? I don't get it at all. It doesn't make any sense at all. But we have to remember that we are not first century Jews. Well, maybe some of you are first century Jews. Some of you are older than me. But we are not first century Jews. Let me ask you a few questions. Uh, how many of you know the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears? They're like, I don't want to look old. No, we st- kids still know that story today. Okay, so it was a common story, common story. How about Little Red Riding Hood? Okay, we're getting a few more, a few more willing to admit that they're a little bit older and they know those things. Okay, um, how about Thomas the Tank Engine? Okay, oh yeah, we know Thomas the Tank Engine. How about for 20 years running, or at least still today after 20 years of running, the most popular of all children's shows, do you know what that is? SpongeBob SquarePants, yes. Wow, somebody knows their TV. <laughs> okay, SpongeBob SquarePants. All right, so how many of you know that one? Okay, a few of you are like, I'm not admitting that in church. No way. <laughs> no way. All right, well, my favorite character is Mr. Krabs, if you know who that is. <laughs> All right, anyway. Um, so so they, we've grown up with these things. And, and the religious leaders grew up with the Bible. And here's something they would have been very familiar with. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the broken heart of God. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. Now this is written over 700 years before Jesus lived. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then? When I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, for there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, that, that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are its pleasant plant. He looked for justice. But behold, oppression for righteousness. But behold, a cry for help. So they know this. They know this. So what Jesus just said to them, a lot of them are starting to make the connection. Now, back to Matthew chapter 1. Jump down to verse 45. Jump down to verse 45. It says, Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious leaders heard his parables, they perceived he was speaking of them. All right, now let's go back to verse 33 and 34 and think about how they would have heard this. Here another parable, a parable we've been talking about it in different ways. And the, uh, one of the ways to think about parables is uh, putting things together for comparison, putting things side by side together for a comparison. 
And Luke, he says, here another parable, Luke says he told the people, so he's talking to the crowd in the temple while the religious leaders are there. There was a certain landowner. Well, who did Isaiah just tell us the landowner was? God the Father, who planted a vineyard. Well, that would be Israel. So whose vineyard is it? It's God's. He planted it. And set a hedge. Uh, Some versions say put a fence around, put a wall around it. Uh, What would that do? That would keep thieves out. That would keep animals out. That would keep enemies out. He dug a wine press in it. What's a wine press? It was basically these two big vats. You'd crush the grapes. It would go down a, a pipe in between, and then it would come out, and it would be wine on the other end. So what did he do? He made it so they could squeeze the grapes right on site. And he built the tower. A tower would be so they could watch out for enemies, so they could watch out for animals. It could even be used for for storage. We might say that God gave them in this vineyard everything they needed to succeed. Absolutely everything they needed to be fruitful, to, to do well in life. And it says, and he leased it to vine dressers. Some of your versions say tenants. Those we'll, we'll see are the religious leaders and went into a far country. So he took off. He wasn't, he wasn't around, or so they thought his presence was there. And what did he do? He was a rich landowner, very common in the first century. A rich landowner would rent out his land to farmers for a fee. And so a portion of the crops would be his, or a flat fee would be his. And so, that, and so that's what he did. But he didn't ask the people to set it up, did he? No, he did it all himself. All he said is, I want you to come and and roll up your sleeves and get to it. Verse 34. Now, when vintage time, or some versions say harvest time, literally means the time of the fruits, drew near, he sent his servants. We're going to see that his servants are the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, to the vine dressers that he might receive its Fruit. Now, this is a word we're going to see used several times uh, in this story, in this parable. And so uh, they might receive the fruit. And it seems to me um, that he's coming. The fruit is the fruit of righteousness, which we get from Isaiah. And so it is the, the repentance and righteousness of God lived out in the people of God, knowing God, serving God, worshiping God loving God, and loving people. So here Jesus invites these people in the temple and he invites you and I to hear a story, again, a common one of a man who rents out his vineyard or his land for a fee. Now, vineyards take a lot of work. It's not something like you just plant it and right away something uh, pops up. Uh, And so they often could take years to bear fruit. uh, So you must be patient. And a lot of times what would happen, this in the ancient world, the owner, knowing that it would take a long time, wouldn't come around. But a lot of times in the ancient world, if you didn't show up within three years, the land would then be given to the people who are working the land. So you or a representative has to show up within every three years or the land belongs to them. But this is not an owner who doesn't care. This is an owner who clearly cares, and we see it in the great preparation he makes of the land, in the the provision for those who are going to work the land, the protection 
that he's providing for these people. And also they can be fruitful. All the landowner asks is this. I just want a portion of the fruit. I just want, the, I just want my investment to show some fruit. I just want rent, if you will. And when I send my servants to collect my portion, to collect the rent, when they come in my authority, I want you to treat them well. I just want you to treat them well. So here we basically have two parties. We'll put the Lord to the side for a second. We have the, we have the tenants, the vine dressers. Those are the religious leaders. We have the servants. Okay, those are the Old Testament prophets. You might, we probably would include John the Baptist in that. And there's one question, and the question is the same for both the religious leaders and the prophets, and I would say it's the question for all of us, too. What will they, what will we do with the owner's vineyard? What will we do with the authority that has been given to us? What will we do with the responsibility that has been given to us? And in all cases, will we represent the owner well or not? So they've been given everything they need to succeed. Now you say, well, my goodness, what a great deal for them. Well, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're not, we're glad that you're here. Really glad that you're here. But if you're a follower of Jesus, did you know that you have everything you need to to succeed? That great verse, 2 Peter 1, 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And today I believe with all of my heart that God will call some to know him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe some for the first time, but maybe some to come back. Maybe some just into the next step of a deeper level of relationship with God. So since the landowner, God the Father, has given them so much and so much opportunity and has been so patient with the lack of fruit at the beginning, not to mention that he trusted them, no doubt... The vine dressers, the tenants, will be grateful, right? Of course they would be grateful. I'm not so sure. Let's look at verse 35. And the vine dressers took his servants, so the religious leaders are taking the prophets, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Now, interesting, the prophets would come and tell them, basically, get right or get out. Right? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get it together because you're leading people astray, and and when they would stone people, typically it was for blasphemy, not for calling out the truth of the word of God. But the religious leaders kind of have their own gig going. Verse thirty six, again, notice the continued patience of God. He sent other servants, other prophets, more than the first. And they did likewise to them. And you can read about this in the Old Testament. Then last of all, some of your versions say, and then finally, you can actually feel the heaviness and the sadness. 
he sent his son to them. Mark's gospel puts it this way. He sent his one beloved son. Saying. They will respect my son. So as they're working the field. Notice I didn't say they were serving. As they were working. It seems they were also plotting how to take over the land. And so, so part of the plan included whenever the prophets would come to them, they were thinking, how can we get the word of, the God, word of God out of our land? Great, it's easy, we'll get rid of the prophets. They come, thus saith the Lord. They come telling us how to live, what to do. We're tired of that. We're going to do our own thing. We're in charge. And so we'll just get, we'll just get rid of them. And so God sends messengers, prophets. They beat them and they kill them. Now, if you were God, what would you do? I'd kill them. <laughs> right? You kill my people, I'd kill your people. Right? Well, some of my Italiano friends over in Brooklyn. <laughs> Remember, I used to own a trucking company. <laughs> right? And say, hey, what's the price for a good whack these days? <laughs> right? All right, I probably wouldn't do that. It'd be on the cover of the newspaper because I'm a pastor. Pastor pays to have people whacked. <laughs> I would get all these texts like, how much did it cost? <laughs> so probably at the very least, I would call the police to evict them, to have them kicked out. But Jesus is explaining how the Father is towards sinners. The Lord is so patient, he gives them chance after chance because he loves the vineyard and he loves the people of the vineyard. And it is so easy for us to miss that. It is so easy for us to miss how patient God is and how much God really, really loves people. Sometimes we're as spiritually deaf and blind as, as the people that meet Jesus, aren't we? Things just we don't, don't even occur to us. Now, historically, many of the rich absentee landowners were very harsh towards the tenants. But here we have the exact opposite. Here it's the, the tenants that are hard of heart. Towards the, towards the love and the grace and the mercy and the patience of God. And interestingly enough, the more patient God is, the uglier and uglier they get. Far from being willing to pay the rent, they want to steal the vineyard from God himself. Finally, God does the very last thing I would do. Of all the options on the entire planet, if I were him, I'm not sending my two boys there. I'm not. He does the very last thing any of us would do. He sends his son to them. And he says, 
They'll respect my son. He comes from me. They respect my son. Certainly when the son comes, they will see the error of their ways. They will repent. They will, they will turn to God. They will, they will want to make things right. The son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in reality the owner's last word on the matter. And Jesus is well aware of that. And I don't know, but, but perhaps now the religious leaders are starting to catch on to what is going on here. And they are looking at one another with such anger and hatred towards Jesus. Thinking, we know what he's saying. The wheels of evil are turning rapidly in their heads faster and faster. This guy thinks he's God's son. He thinks he is the son of the owner of the vineyard. He thinks he is the Messiah. He came into the city when the people were screaming, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He didn't say, oh, no, 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 no. No, he, he thinks he's the one. Such blasphemy. Verse 38 and 39, the wickedness comes to a head. But when the vine dressers saw the son, Jesus still telling the story, they said among themselves, so what are they doing? They're planning. They have, oh, here comes the son. What should we do? What should we do? This is the heir. This is the son of the owner. Come, let us kill him and seize the inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and they killed him. So as the religious leaders are in the process of rejecting the patience of God, as they're in their little unholy huddle again, talking to one another about what they should do, Jesus looks right at them. Imagine you're in there, you're watching this scene going down, and he says, I know what you're doing. You're making a plan. And not only do I know that you're making a plan, but I know what your plan is. You are going to kill me. And you're going to think you're doing God's work. Think you're doing God's will. So what's happening? The cross is unfolding as Jesus is speaking. It is a matter of days. People will, some will say, this is like that parable he told us in the temple. Why, why, why would they kill Jesus? Because they want the power and control over the vineyard. They don't want to yield it to the son of the, the landowner. It has not been given to them by God. So they're going to take it by force. Perhaps they're rationalizing. Any of you ever rationalize your sin? Well, you are right now. We rationalize our sin. Perhaps they're thinking, 
well, maybe the owner's dead. And that's why all these other guys came along. And maybe this son, by the way, the one who does all these miracles, (laughs) teaches us the word of God properly. Perhaps this son is an imposter. We will not bow to his authority. Now, notice how religious they are. This is actually horrible. It is really, it's the height of hypocrisy. They, they, they're, in the parable, they're thinking, well, you know what? If we, if we shed his blood in the vineyard, then the ground will be unholy. <laughs> so we don't want to do that. Let's take him outside the vineyard, and then we'll cut him to pieces. A lot of scholars think this is people not wanting to kill Jesus inside the city of Jerusalem to make it unholy. So they'll take him outside and they'll have him cut up. Height of, height of hypocrisy. For six months, Jesus has been telling the apostles about this. Now he's telling everyone in the temple and in the city, watch what happens. Keep your eyes open the rest of this week. Before you know it, you're going to see me hanging on a cross. Jesus tells the whole temple this is not just something they just sort of, at the last minute it happened. This is premeditated murder. This is a hostile takeover attempt by the religious leaders to take you over, people. To take the vineyard over from the patient God. That brings us to number two, the justice of God. The justice of God. Now, if Jesus and the religious leaders have been boxing, Jesus is about to hit them hard in the gut. Verse 40, Jesus says, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Now, let's just stop there for a second and think about that answer just for us. How would you might answer that for a second? I think this is how most people that we know in our culture answer this. He'll do nothing because God forgives everyone. Um, God's not particularly concerned with how we live. He wants me to be happy. Or, he made me this way. Hmm. Really. It's interesting. Um, and again, if you're not a believing person, I'm, I'm, we're really glad that you're here. And I'm just, you know, a couple of years ahead of you in this thing. in in following Jesus, and I hope that Jesus really speaks to you today. But the reality is, is that most unbelieving people don't think God will ever judge them. Let me back that a second. Going too fast here. I think their mouths say it, but I don't think their hearts believe it. I think that, that we all know deep down, because of our conscience, that something is really wrong in some of the things that we do. And it might ease our conscience to say, well, God's not going to really judge me for that. But are you so sure that's entirely true? Now, some of you would say here, well, Pastor Jim, most of us are followers of Jesus. And and so you have to remember, we know that the Father will not do anything to us. Okay, fine. Here's a better question for all of us to think we really thought about what our sin does to the Father? Have we really thought about what our sin says, our willful sin 
says about how we love his son. Or are we that much into ourselves? That we're just running around all the time saying, oh, it's all about grace. God forgives, God forgives, God forgives. Not thinking for a second. That when we act like people who don't belong in the vineyard, that we break his heart. We break his heart. So what, what will he do to those vine dressers? I want to read verse uh, 41 again. I'm going to go slowly now. They, they said to him, so they're, they're coming back at them. Presumably it's the religious leaders. Interesting, their, their own words are prophetic. Their own words condemn themselves. And they say, he will destroy. In other words, he's coming. They, 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 they're saying, they're going to do it, but they're saying what's going to happen. He's going to come. He's not going to sit idly and let them kill his son. He will destroy those wicked men miserably. Some other versions that I just, just really just capture a lot of this is he will bring those bad men to a bad end. Another one says he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Another version translates this, he will bring those dreadful scoundrels to a dreadful end. In other words, he will avenge his son's death. And so he will destroy those wicked men miserably. Their sin will be answered for. And he will lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render or pay to him the fruits of their seasons. What did God just say? He's not giving up. I'm not going to stop my plan because a bunch of guys took off and did their own thing and led a bunch of people astray. I'm not going to stop my plan for that. Are you kidding me? I have big plans, big plans. Way beyond you punks. She's looking right at them. She's looking right. Well, big plans, way beyond you punks. Verse 42. Oh, back off, Jesus. Back off. Oh, no, he's bringing the heat. <laughs> he's bringing the heat. Next time somebody says to you, oh, Jesus would never be mean to anyone. <laughs> here you go. Right here. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? <laughs> Once again, you, you, I know you're the Bible guys. You should buy one. Quote Psalm 118, 22 and 23. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, some versions say capstone. Cornerstone at the bottom, capstone at the top. All the people are like, oh, it's a contradiction. We'll get to that in a second. This was the Lord's doing. So what was this? This was part of his plan. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Uh, other version says it is astonishing in our eyes. So the chief cornerstone was the, the, the beautiful big rock that was laid at the bottom, at the foundation, and they sort of built the building around it. The capstone was at the top. It was the most gorgeous thing. It would be the eye-catching thing when you'd be, you'd be walking towards it, you would see it. Uh, people are like, well, which is it? 
Well, the, the honest answer is both make the same point. The point is that the critical important stone in the building was rejected. The builders looked at it and said, I don't want it. I don't want it. Just the way they are rejecting Jesus. It, it is important to see, very important to see. We, we see it in the Bible and, and, and people come at us with this stuff. And, and we have to remember this, that the leaders and their followers and anyone who rejects Jesus or rejecting Jesus is not accepting or receiving Jesus. All of that group of people do not disprove that Jesus is the Messiah. That does not disprove that is, he is God become a man. Is the crowd ever wrong? We covered that a few weeks ago. The crowd is often wrong. And the cross, when people say to you, oh yeah, that's a shame what happened to Jesus, that whole cross stuff. The cross is not the end. The cross is a new beginning. Well, verse 43 so the religious leaders were kind of down. You know, if you follow boxing at all, the, the count got to like eight. Right? And they left them up and they're kind of dazed. And, 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 and the guy, the referee's like, you okay to still fight? And he's like, I'm okay, I'm okay. You think, oh, Jesus is going to back off now, like, you know, play around with him or something like that. No, 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 no. Here, here comes the knockout punch. This is the ultimate judgment of bad religion its leaders and its followers, verse 43, therefore, we might say because of all this, because of your regular pattern of rejecting God when he reaches out to you, therefore, I say to you, looking right at them, I'm saying this to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation, some of your versions say to a people, bearing the fruits of it. So if, if your life is a life that is bearing the fruit of godliness, of the word of God, little fruit or lots of fruit, but if your life is bearing that fruit, you might want to just circle that verse in the Bible and go, me, <laughs> right? That's you. You're in the Bible. There you are. And whomever, verse 44, falls on this stone will be broken, and whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. If you fall on it, if you stumble over it, you're going to be broken, and if it falls on you, you'll be ground to powder. It's like Jesus is looking them straight in the eye and says, listen, save all your religious gobbledygook. Save all your dumb religious talk. Because your deeds, your lives, your heart, your plans, that what tells the real story of what you think about the kingdom of God and the king. And because of that, he looks them right in the eye and he says, you forfeited it. You're done. I'm going to give it to other people. People who know that they're sinners. People that will turn to God and put their trust in me, the Lord Jesus, and then will live their lives for me. People who aren't stumbled by the stone, but rather people who want to be close to the stone. 
Remember what Peter said? Who, who do you say I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say on this rock, on what you just said, Peter? I'm going to build my church. This is an important moment in history. Up until now, the religious leaders had an important role in the kingdom. Now, Jesus is taking it away. He has seen enough. Heaven has seen enough, and the religious leaders are not happy about it. Why? They had done such a poor job in leading the people of God. God is going to give that role to others who love Jesus. Now, please just really pay attention to what I'm about to say because this is so applicable to so many of our friends, family members, co-workers, religious people in Northwest New Jersey. Very, very common. One of the greatest dangers of religion, one, one great danger of religion is that you think you do stuff for God and he's like amazed. Like you light a candle, amazing. Amazing. Like when you do it at your dinner table, not amazing. Do it in church, amazing. I don't see the difference, but amazing. (laughs) Things that we think that we do that God is amazed at. We're supposed to be amazed at Jesus. That's the way it's supposed to be. But there is another huge, huge danger that lurks in religion that so many people have bought into Even so many of the scandals are unable to undo it. And here's one of the big dangers of religion. Religion often hijacks the message of the word of God and puts our eyes on the clergy instead of Jesus Christ. Like I, I say to you all the time, something happens to me, please, please keep coming here. Forget about me. Seriously. He was a decent guy for a while, like three weeks, right? <laughs> but, but, but just keep, stay, you're a family. Stay together. Stay together. There we go. You see, what religion does is it shifts the authority from the word of God to the clergy. That is so very dangerous because what happens is then the unstudied, unlearned, unyielded to, unwilling to let God be in charge, vine dressers, tenants, clergy start to pass along bad information and false teaching as if it is gospel truth. And people who are unlearned, untaught and untrained go, oh, that makes sense. Here's the problem. If it makes too much sense, you might want to be a little bit wary of it. So Jesus comes along, comes into the temple. What does he do? Like, oh, great. Nice setup you got going here. No, man, he comes in. He's flipping the tables. He's throwing the chairs over. He reveals the scandals and the covered ups. Still doing it today. Why? What's he reminding us? This is my vineyard. That's what he's saying. This is my vineyard. And none of us, including me, any of us, can make that mistake. 
This is his place. This is his church. This is his land. This is his planet. This is his universe. And God helped the people who try and replace him. God helped the people. Seriously, and I don't mean we're to be mean to them. We are to lovingly reach out to them. God helped the people that tried to displace him and his authority. In their self-righteousness, which we all have some of it for sure. Self-righteousness is the deadly disease of the soul. In their self-righteousness, the religious leaders changed the word of God to suit themselves. And God will judge them for it. But here's what we have to remember. Loved ones, God's going to judge the followers for it too. Because they followed the clergy instead of following Jesus. Friend, before it's too late, come to Jesus. Before that stone breaks you. Before that stone crushes you. It's not too late now. But it will be too late when the judge comes or when you meet him in the next life. That takes us quickly to number three, the cross of Christ, verse 45. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived, some say they knew, another verse said they knew that he was speaking of them. (laughs) You're about as sharp as a bowling ball, you guys. Come on. Verse 46. But when they sought to lay hands on him, that's not like, oh, we'll lay hands on the brother and pray for him. That's not not what we're talking about here. they They want to arrest him. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they, the multitudes, took him for a prophet. So they refused to repent. Therefore, Jesus will die on the cross. Now, the rejection of the stone that led to the cross also led to the resurrection. That becomes the hope for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life for those who want to be or want Jesus Christ to be the cornerstone of their life. So let me just ask you this question. What is the cornerstone of your life? What, what or who is it? For most people we know the cornerstone is success, happiness, money. Nothing wrong with those things when they're put in the proper context. For others, it's, it, it's love. It's, it's relationships. That's what they're building their whole you know, life around, their, their kids or their family. For other people, it's their looks. Or they want to be young forever. Well, if you're going to heaven, you're young, okay? But they want to be whatever it is. And so they build their lives around these things. But the problem is, Eventually, those things will let you down, won't they? Many of us have either experienced or understand what happens. You've got a great paying job, and then there's a big company-wide layoff. Some company from another country buys your company, and some guy who doesn't have any idea who you are. You're just a number on the, on the, on the spreadsheet. That's it. You're done. You're gone. Your kids, they they don't turn out exactly the way you want. If they're your idol, if they're your cornerstone, you're done. You're done. You don't know what to do. 
Whatever it is, if you build yourself on anything, you build your life around anything other than Jesus, it will let you down. But when Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of your life, if you build your life around him, yes, failure and disappointment will hurt you, but it won't crush you. It won't kill you. Romans 8.32 gives us a great promise. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, that's the cross, how shall he, God the Father, not with him, Jesus, also freely give us all things? Don't you want all things? You're not selfish enough, man. I am. I totally want all things. Now, if you're a parent, you might wonder, why in the world would God send his son into that den of thieves, into that pack of wolves, after all the things that happened to the prophets? Is he trying to teach his son a lesson? Does he not love his son? Did he not make his bed? I mean, what, what's the deal? Didn't take the garbage out? What is he, doesn't like his son? No, actually, Jesus tells us the reason. The reason is because Jesus and his heavenly father had a marvelous, astonishing plan. Interesting, he says, it's marvelous in our eyes. That, that some of us, when we look at the cross, will actually be able to see it. On the cross... Jesus Christ was thrown out of the vineyard and crushed because of sin. Crushed because of the sin of the religious leaders, of the religious people, of your sin and of my sin. Why? So you, if you're willing to put your trust in Jesus, can be forgiven and invited back in to the vineyard. And invited back in to the kingdom, to be invited into the joy of heaven. And that's what we'll talk about next week. God is very patient, but he is also just. Don't push him or try his patience any longer. Come to the cross. Come to Jesus today. Leave your bad religion behind. Leave your sin behind. Don't follow the crowd. Don't follow the religious leaders that are changing the word of God, omitting the word of God, or shaving the word of God. Trust in Jesus. Become an adopted son or daughter of the king. Come into the vineyard, and all things will be yours. Well, let's stand and pray.